1768, on the West African coast, a man named Jacko was kidnapped into slavery by the British. On the long journey across the Atlantic, Jacko was determined to find a way out of the bondage. He would end up on a small island in the Caribbean that is now known as Dominica. And once he got there, he was immediately put to work on a plantation. Very soon after his arrival in 1768, Jacko escapes and he goes into the northern section of the island, into the center. Back then, by just going two miles towards the center of the island, Jacko was in dense tropical forests. Even today, over 250 years later, the majority of Dominica's population live on the coast of the island. He moved into the forest, eventually found this very suitable place. Less than 10 miles inland, Jacko stumbled upon a gorgeous waterfall. But Jacko still needed to set up camp. And just a mile away from those falls, he found a high plateau that was perfect. Jacko would have a good vantage point in case the British came looking for him, and he knew he wasn't far from fresh water. And up there is where he had his camp, and he made a very difficult staircase to go up to it um, because it actually was able to secure the people up on this plateau that had very steep cliffs, surrounded by very steep cliffs. So it was like a natural citadel. From that citadel, Jacko would go back to the coast multiple times over the following decades. Yes, I said decades. And free Africans and bring them to his camp. My name is Baudelaire, and this is the Atlas Obscura podcast, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we go to the small island of Dominica to see the waterfall, steps, and camp of the Dominican national hero, Jacko. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Skip the waiting room. TireRack.com now offers convenient mobile tire installation in select areas. Simply shop TireRack.com for your next set of tires, and at checkout, choose Tire Rack Mobile Tire Installation. An expertly trained technician will arrive with your tires and install them on-site, at home, at the office, wherever you are. You'll spend less time waiting and more time doing the things you enjoy. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. I am Lennox Honeychurch. Uh, I'm born and raised in, in Dominica, the island of Dominica, not to be confused with the Dominican Republic, in the middle of the Lesser Antilles. And I um, am considered to be the island historian. Yeah, he's underselling it. Dr. Honeychurch is the foremost historian of Dominica. So much so that if you just Google Dominica historian, he comes up. 
And it's not just like he's the first thing that comes up in the Google results. Google actually tells you that you must be looking for Dr. Honeychurch. And Dr. Honeychurch tells me his love of history goes back to the 50s and 60s. I was highly influenced by my grandparents uh, as we went around the island as a kid, as a child, uh, adventuring into all the natural features of the island and the ruins that existed in the forest. Uh, I was informed by them about what these things were, what their names were, how they got there. And I think it's from those childhood experiences that I became very interested in, in history and finding out, like, why things are the way they are today and going back into history and finding out all of the background and reasons. With his grandparents, Dr. Honeychurch would go all around the island of Dominica, which is actually a pretty small island. It's a little bit smaller than New York City. But like most of the Caribbean islands, Dominica is covered with mountains. In fact, it's considered to be one of the most mountainous islands in the Caribbean. And for that reason, it was the last island in the Caribbean to be officially colonized. It wasn't until 1763 that the British were able to colonize Dominica. But even still, its being so mountainous helped the native Carib people maintain their hold on the island. Because it was so mountainous, the indigenous Carib Kalinago people continued to occupy the island throughout. In fact, today they still have a territory uh, and a chief and a council uh, on the east coast of, of the island. So because of its mountainous nature, it was protected. But it wasn't just the natives that made use of those dense and mountainous island forests. Like the Europeans did in the rest of the Caribbean, enslaved Africans were brought to Dominica. It's said that over the 60-plus years slavery existed on the island, about 100,000 Africans passed through Dominica's ports. But like other places where slavery existed, enslaved people constantly fought for their freedom, and in some cases, escaped into the night. We know in the U.S., Africans would head north. But in the Caribbean, things were different. In the case of islands like Dominica in the Caribbean, you were in an island. So it was extremely difficult to move. So yeah. you had to retreat into the mountains. So therefore, the flatter islands had less runaway slaves than the mountainous islands. You know, mm -hmm. an island like Barbados or Antigua, mm -hmm. it was very difficult for people to escape because uh, almost everything was covered in sugarcane fields. Yeah. And although there were caves and gullies, the problem was that how long could you hide? You know, how long could you remain without being caught? In not just Dominica, but the entire Caribbean, Africans that made homes in the mountains would be called Maroons. Maroons are uh, enslaved persons who had escaped from the plantation into the forested mountains to fight an action to basically ensure their liberation and the liberation of others who were still on the plantation. And for Dominicans, there isn't a maroon more revered than Jacko. So within the last 20, 30 years, um, his story has been more widely told. Which brings us back to our opening scene of Jacko's nighttime escape in 1768. Dr. Honeychurch says he didn't do it alone. Many of them would escape at night and, and then move into particularly on things like moonlight nights, okay. escape up through the forest and then wait for the day. D. 
deeper into the forest, they came across a beautiful waterfall. About 200 years later, Dr. Honeychurch visited that same waterfall. But when I was a child, you had to really um, clamber down roots. There was nothing there to assist you. You had to take it as it came in the forest. You went down a narrow gorge on the sides of the gorge, and then you got to, to this pool, and the waterfall was pouring into this beautiful freshwater pool. But remember, this was just step one. About a mile away from the falls, Jacko spotted a plateau that would become his camp. It was about 400 feet high, and it was really steep. The only way to reach it was through 135 steps that Jacko and his fellow Maroons carved into the rock. Dominica is a volcanic island, so it's made up of this compacted volcanic ash. And although it's hard, hardish rock, it still can be cut into. But what happened is Jacko um, and the design of these steps was not like, you know, eight inches apart like a normal step you step up you had uh, almost the height of a man so you had to put your gun or your uh, food or ammunition on the next level pull yourself up collect your stuff put it on the next level pull yourself up and then eventually you get up to the to the top as more africans escaped slavery they added more camps on the plateaus throughout the forest and what the camps were doing is they were replicating an African village because people like Jaco, they had been transported across the Atlantic in the Middle Passage, arrived in Dominica, and very soon after, they escaped to the mountains to try to recreate what they had remembered from Africa. So the design of the houses, the thatched roof covers, the woven um, saplings that were used for the walls, the type of agriculture, type of basic culture, all of that was a memory of Africa that was then recreated uh, in the islands of the Caribbean. And in this case, in particular, in the mountains of Dominica. With these advantageous vantage points, all the Maroons had to do was use a blue conch shell to alert other villages when Europeans were spotted. But Jacko, who was made chief of his band of Maroons, didn't just stay up there and get comfortable now that they were free. They used that camp as a base to go and free more Africans and help destroy the system of slavery. Because um, this was the whole purpose of it. Mm -hmm. You had your camp, you had your women and children, because we know that women and children lived up there as well. Mm -hmm. And um, then you would use that as a citadel, as a base mm -hmm. from which to go down to the coast and uh, attack plantations. The idea was that the Maroon armies would weaken the British hold on the island and slavery itself by freeing as many Africans as possible and damaging the plantations. This would cost the British a lot of money, both in replacing the enslaved people and repairing damages. Also, through just knowing that the Maroons existed, more enslaved people were encouraged to try their own escapes. And of course, the problem was that the British government then had to fork out masses of money to uh, give supplies and pay the soldiers and the rangers who were going behind the Maroons. They had to give them ammunition, guns, food, blankets, tents, all of this to get up in that forest. So it was causing a drag. 
Jacko lived as a Maroon, freeing other Africans and keeping his camp safe for 40 years. Over this time, Jacko becomes a famous figure in the Maroon community. He was considered to be the sort of leading chief in the area. Um, Many other Maroon chiefs would go and consult him for advice and guidance. This guidance became vital during what Dominicans call the Second Maroon War, from 1802 to 1815. And this was a British governor called Governor Ainsley. And what he did was to go on a, what he called a Maroon eradication campaign. That was to wipe out the Maroons once and for all because of the threat that he saw them um, causing to, to Dominica, to the planters and the plantocracy of Dominica. Governor Ainsley figured out that using British forces against the Maroons was just a bad idea. Not only was it really hard trying to get up these steep cliffs to the camps, but as soon as their white skin was spotted, the Maroons would alert each other. So Inslee decided to hire enslaved Africans to go and get the Maroons, and in exchange, he would give them their freedom. And on July 12, 1814, one of those enslaved Africans made it to Jacko's camp. By the time the camp was alerted that an enemy was there, Jacko barely had time to get to his weapon. Before he could grab his musket, he was shot and killed. And so we know the person. He was an enslaved person, John Lavalou. And he killed Jacko. And he wow. was given a ward and he was given his freedom uh, for, for killing Jacko. The people of Jacko's camp who survived the raid were arrested and brought back to the Dominican coast, where they stood trial. In the main marketplace of the capital of Dominica, Rosso, And uh, within minutes of the end of the trial, the people were executed. They were were hanged in the public marketplace. And in some cases, their heads were chopped off and put on poles as a warning to others. But the story of Jacko and his camp wouldn't be a warning. It became inspiration. Slavery would be abolished almost 20 years later, but Dominicans would never forget Jacko. Although Jacko was killed, the site of his camp and the steps and all that remain in the mind of the people of Dominica. Since Jacko died and since slavery was over, people came in and planted farms, gardens as we call them, up on top, on top the plateau. Since independence, the story of Jacko has gotten even more well-known among Dominicans, so much so that the waterfall near his camp would be named Jacko Falls. In Dominica, there are 12 waterfalls. And to be honest, in terms of scenery, Jacko Falls usually doesn't fall that high on people's lists or any list that you'll find online in terms of most beautiful waterfalls in the country. But the story of Jacko has kept it a top tourist attraction. And those steps Jacko carved into the volcanic rock leading up to his camp would be called Jacko's Steps. Those steps were expanded to make it easier for folks to climb them and visit the camp. So they aren't exactly as Jacko made them anymore. But even still, Dr. Honeychurch says that climb is no joke. As I get older, it gets more difficult. So the last time I went to the Jacko camp, I had to stop and take a breather and stop and climb some more. Whereas when I was a teenager, I just zoomed up. Dominica gained its independence on November 3rd, 1978, over 150 years after Jacko's passing. 
Dr. Honeychurch told me that Jacko's influence remained all that time and to this very day. Jacko, as the main um, and iconic Maroon leader, is essentially the hero of that entire Maroon period of giving the people of Dominica the inspiration about their identity, about their sense of, of freedom. All of these things contributed to the people of Dominica being independent. Uh, and so the, as I have written in the book, the exploits of the Maroon chiefs headed by Jaco is an extremely important part of uh, Dominica's identity because their work basically essentially set the pace for all Dominicans to be free and to be able to be the inheritors of the island. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Gabby Gladney, Manolo Morales. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. And my name is Baudelaire. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona, la vida mas fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hi, I'm Lale Arakogli, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you, and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen.